Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. These are fun, new, exciting days. Different for sure. But the joy of the Lord, which gives us strength, strength that propels us into this place of recognizing that in the midst of the circumstances we have, we can recognize what God is doing and find the peace and the joy in that. And that's where the fun comes from. Because I want to be on the lookout. I don't know about you. I want to be on the lookout to see what God is doing every single day. Because he's up to good stuff. So let's jump into some scripture, if you don't mind. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter All right. So Romans is in the New Testament a little bit after the Gospels and after the book of Acts and you'll get to Romans. I was with my kids last night and we were watching some TV and it got to that special place in life. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but you don't know what to watch. Right. You've been filtering through every single streaming service that you have and you're wondering what can we possibly give this last hour of the evening to to watch? And so we're flipping through things, and my girls are making suggestions, and me as a father, I'm like, no, 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 bedtime's happening. There's no possible way that we can choose that two-hour movie that you want to watch. And then we're watching, we, we come through the streaming list, and there comes on the screen the suggestion, hey, you should watch Swiss Family Robinson, that classic 1960s film. And my daughter says, what, what's that about? And I'm like, what's that about? That's like one of the most classic stories out there of being shipwrecked on an island. Nothing available to you, yet what you brought on that ship that was wrecked. And there are a lot of people out there who would ask questions on a podcast, on an interview. If you were on a desert island, what would you take? Or who would you take? Or what would you want to make sure that you have with you? The interesting thing, there are Bible scholars out there that would say, if they could only take one of the books of the Bible with them on a desert island, a lot of people would take Romans because it's so thick and dense and packed with the goodness of God's character and the way that Paul is writing to his friends in the city of Rome, which is why it gets its name. But as Paul is writing to his friends there, he is reminding them of the faithfulness of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and also having a sense and, and even even an uh, antenna out to recognize what the Holy Spirit is up to. So we get to chapter 5, and there's such good stuff in this place. The first eight verses, and I want you to look with me. So whether you've got a phone app, we'll even have them on the screen here that you can read with me. But even grab one of those old school Bibles that has some pages. So let's read together Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I'm telling you, this passage is packed with one-liners. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're like me, you read these first eight verses of chapter five and you're like, I, I actually, I got to go back. I've gotten into this new habit that my wife has gotten me into. It's called listening to books, not just reading them. These audio books that are out there. It's something that I do now because I'm trying to understand my wife a little bit better. I'm not necessarily reading the books that she reads, but the books that I want to read, I'm now listening to because I can throw it on two times speed. I don't know. I was listening to a podcast this week, and that was the interviewer's question. So, hey, when you're listening to things, when you're streaming podcasts, what speed are you listening to? And the, and the guy being interviewed is like 1.2. I'm like, 1.2? That's child's play, all right? I'm at least a two-time guy. I start at 1.5, and then I click it up a little bit. But going at two times speed and you're listening to a podcast or some other speaker speak, you can miss things. And I feel like that's exactly what we just did in Romans chapter 5. There's so much here. And I bet there was probably a word or a phrase that caught your attention. And I don't want to miss what God's saying to us through his servant Paul, who is writing to his friends in Rome. And like every single week that we gather and we open up scripture, we have to understand what did it mean to the people back then before we can ever understand what is it possibly going to say to me today in 2020. So often as Christians, we want to jump right to, well, God, I opened to Romans chapter 5. What do you want to say to me today? And God's like, hey, hey, first before we go there, can you figure out what I was trying to say to the people who it was originally written to? Because that's actually more helpful to us if we understand the setting. This is first century Rome. This is where Caesar is in charge. And this is the guy who invented the salad. I know, terrible joke, right? He's the guy who invented the haircut. Again, terrible joke. But we got Caesar who's ruling from his palace. He is over the entire known world at the time. They're the ones in charge. No longer is it the Greeks. No longer is it anybody else. It's Rome. And if you knew what was good for you, you would do everything to pay homage to Rome because if you did that, you could live. And Paul is reminding his early church people in this city, in this empire, that it's actually not Caesar who is Lord, it's God, and it's Jesus who gets to be proclaimed, not Caesar. So Paul is saying some outlandish stuff for this country and this, this empire that he's speaking to. He wants them to know that no matter what you're going through, we have hope. We have something to believe in because of what Paul is trying to convey to his listeners back then. So if you'll let me, I want to go back and revisit some of these verses, maybe point out a word or two here and there, because I think there's such richness and depth to what Paul is saying that we can't just quickly move into today and forget about what's happening, but listen in what God is trying to say again to his people back then and then also for us today. Therefore, the very first word is therefore. And I was taught long ago, long ago, when you come across a word like therefore, you must ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, right? Literally that word, it's a transition word, it's a conjunction word. For in Paul, he uses this from time to time in so many of his writings, so many of his letters to the New Testament world. And it's a conjunction piece for him. It's a transition moment because he's reminding them, hey, I've just said a, a bunch of stuff to you. And therefore, because if that's all true, therefore. 
And go back and read Romans 1 through 4 because there's such richness and depth because he's laying the case that our hope in Christ comes from our faith in Christ. Not because of our works. And there would be lots of people in that day who would say that your worth is only based upon what you do. And, and Paul is saying that's not actually how it works when it comes to Christ. In chapter 1, he lays out this, his case. It's only by faith that we're saved. It's only that the opportunity that we have to come in contact with God because of our faith. And so when he says this word, therefore, in, cha- in, in verse 1 of chapter 5, he's saying, hey, don't forget of what I just said. But because of that, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have our peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. I love that word access because it makes mention of something that I don't often have. How many of you have come across that moment? You see that door at that place that you're at and it says access denied or maybe it's a, a website or maybe it's something that you're at and it says restricted area, authorized personnel only. And I'm like, what does it take to be authorized? Because I want to see behind that door. Why can't I have access? What's going on here? So when I see that word access and Paul is using it in a way that would have made sense to his first century audience because for them, you would never have dared gotten close to the emperor without being granted access you would have had to have received something that says now you can go before the emperor or any other magistrate or person in charge and so for paul he's reminding his audience you actually get to be in god's presence because we have access because of the grace that jesus has given so my ticket to the party have you ever been to the party where you were told your name was on the list and you get there and you check in and like, yeah, that's right, Mr. Fessler, you go right in. You're like, that's, you feel like a million bucks in that moment. But have you ever been to that moment where, they, where you go and you say, hey, I'm just checking in? And they're like, that's weird. We don't see your name here at all. I've been to that wedding. I, I wasn't on the list. It felt weird. Should I stay? Should I go? Should I break out in song? I don't know. But we recognize what it's like to be left out. And for the first century audience, that's, Listening to Paul, so many of them would never have had access to the emperor. But more important than the emperor is God. More important than the emperor is Jesus. And we have access to him because of the grace that he gives over and over again. All right, let's jump further. Let's head down. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's that second part of verse 2. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. I have hope for today. I have hope for tomorrow because of God. This gives me reason to have jubilance in my heart. It sees me through the dark days. It sees me through the moments where I don't have it all together. So I want to boast in the hope of the glory of God that one day God's in the business of redeeming and reclaiming and bringing this thing to fruition. That he's going to do a new thing. That he's going to fix it. That he's going to put the world back together again. He's going to redeem what has happened. I get to boast about that. That's the good news that the early Christians were talking about. What good news do you have to share? Oh, because I serve a God who's going to fix this thing. And there's not a person amongst us that doesn't recognize that there are places and, and parts of our world right now that are broken and need the fixing of God more than ever. All right, let's head to verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Hold on a second, Paul. You sound like a crazy man right now. I'm supposed to be excited about the sufferings? Now, recognize he puts a preposition in there. And if I remember anything about what my mom told me, 
back when I was growing up about how do you do sentence structures, as well as my 10th grade English teacher, you had to figure out how do you diagram a sentence. And there were these preposition words. And this preposition in the sentence changes everything. Paul is not saying you glory because of the sufferings you have. You glory in them, right? I'm just like, oh, God, I'm so excited for the suffering that I'm I'm experiencing. No, 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 no. In the midst of the suffering that I'm experiencing, I can find glory because I recognize that I have hope that God's going to fix it in the end. So whatever's, whatever I'm facing right now, God is in the business of redeeming and reclaiming. I don't always know how. I don't always see. But I trust that he's in the business of making things right. So I get to glory in our sufferings. And why? Because there's almost like a mathematical equation that Paul gives. I don't know if you love math. I'm not sure at the mention of that word, your skin begins to crawl. If you have forgotten all that you were taught in high school about math. But he gives us this equation that I think is just utterly beautiful. Because we know that in our suffering, it produces perseverance. And then perseverance produces character. And lastly, character gets us to that place of hope. Every single one of us, if we're alive, if we've got a pulse, if we have any ounce of recognition of what's happening in our world, we recognize that we have stood in places of suffering. We recognize the places of suffering of others. The question for us is how do we move into these places of perseverance? How do we move into places of finding character in that? And then ultimately getting to that last bit of the equation that Paul gives and says, do we have the ability to hope? And I think that's powerful. And you and I have been around people who've gone through that equation. We've also been around people who are so quick to short-circuit the equation and just jump from point one to the end. And it doesn't work unless you allow God to work with you through what's happening. It means that in the midst of the suffering that you're experiencing, would I trust God to move me to a place of persevering? Have you been around the person who has pushed through the hardness of life? This is what happens when you have seen that person who has gone through the, the most utter pain. It's walking with people through places of cancer. It's walking through that diagnosis. It's walking through the death of a loved one. It's walking through the death of a dream, something that's terrible through, that has happened to you. And you're walking through it because you want to find a place. Can I persevere? Do I have what, it's ta- what it takes? Can I trust God in the midst of this? Because from my sufferings, I move to perseverance. Perseverance gets me to a place of character. Our world and our country are desperate for people of character. But character doesn't come unless you've lived a little bit. Character, you can't get to that place unless you have have some street credibility, ultimately. Have you walked through the fire and not been burned? That's what Paul's talking about. Do we move from our sufferings to places of perseverance, ultimately to character, and eventually, finally, to hope? Because that hope, that we're told, doesn't disappoint. There are a couple of stories that came to me this week regarding that. This idea that I would trust God through the sufferings I go through, the perseverance, the character finding, the character building, and the hope. Because, again, every single one of us, we've experienced the pains of life, some more than others. And the tendency for us is to assume that if we receive pain and suffering, it's because God doesn't like us, he's unhappy with us, we have done something. As if he were 
up on his giant anthill, just like looking at us and noting, oh, you messed up there. Oh, you said that word. Oh, you did that thing. It's not how God works. Sometimes we don't understand why we suffer. Sometimes we don't understand what's happening in our lives, but we're trying to do our best to trust. But God, in his word, through his servant, Paul, is reminding us that if I can recognize the the progression from suffering to perseverance to character to hope, that I don't have suffering in my life because God doesn't love me, in the midst of the suffering of my life, I can make it through because God loves me. There's a difference. It's a different way of seeing things. So the stories that have come to mind for me this week are twofold. Probably, probably one of my most beloved stories of Scripture goes back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. This is like the book that you hear about, it's the, especially the first few chapters. You love the stories because you hear about Daniel. You also hear about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the names that were given to them. But they, they were existing in the court of a king that they did not serve. They were force-marched force march from Babylon to Baghdad. They were forced to live in a kingdom that was not theirs. And they stood up for what they believed in and actually the king took notice. Except for that moment when the king was told that these guys are conniving, which they weren't. It was a lie. Have you ever had a lie told about you that you're trying to make clean? And these guys are sent. We remember the story. They're sent to the fiery furnace, right? I love the interchange that happens with them and the king. And the three of them in the fire, about to be thrown in, say, we know that our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we would never bow to you. They are throwing down the gauntlet. They are drawing a line in the sand saying, hey, regardless of what happens to me, I will not change the way that I feel about God. I will not change the way that I am positioned to follow him. Even in the midst of the suffering, Because the temptation for every single one of us, me included, is the moment suffering shows up is to turn my face from God and be like, you have abandoned me. And Paul is reminding his Roman citizens, his friends, no matter what happens, because there's lots of persecution and suffering happening in the Roman Empire at this time. But it's also a word for us today in the midst of the suffering that we go through, in the midst of the suffering that our culture feels. This does not mean that God has turned away but he actually gives us what we need to persevere, to find character, and ultimately to hope. The second story, literally, because I have been, I told you a couple weeks ago, I've been reading these books all around the Civil War time period of our our country's history. I've been reading books about Lincoln. I've been reading books about President Grant. I've been reading books about the Reconstruction that took place after the Civil War because it wasn't just a North and South thing for a couple years. You had to get back to figuring out what is life going to be like. And then there's stories of these slaves in our country that would write spirituals. There are Negro spirituals that are a part and a part of the fabric and tapestry of our history and our culture that are songs sung to God. They are songs that sometimes we don't know what to do with because like you, like like many of you, I, I didn't write them. I don't know what it means to sing from the deep core of my life that nobody knows the troubles I've seen Nobody knows but Jesus. It's not just a song to be sung in a movie like Spaceballs. It literally is a, it, it's a song that be sung like nobody knows what's happening except for Jesus, the pain that I'm experiencing. 
And as a shout out to my dad, one of the songs that he, he, he's like, I don't know about that one, but it's a song that speaks to the time period of the slavery time of our country when they would say, some glad morning, when this life is over, I'm going to fly away. And it may not be the best theology, because like you, we've been talking about this for years, that our goal in life is not just to get out of here. It's not just to get to heaven, because God is in the business of redeeming and reclaiming this place. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and I can't wait for that moment, because the things, the pain of this life will be fixed. But the hope that we have ultimately in our core is that one day, God, you're going to fix it. And so you love, you can feel the gutturalness of the pain that says some glad morning when this life is over, when the pain of this life that I have experienced, whether I fly away or I'm going to be with you, Jesus, that's the reality that I want because this pain is all too real. But it doesn't make me turn away from the pain. And I think that's what you and I get for today is this understanding that we don't get to turn away from the pain that we have. We can see our way through it because sufferings produces perseverance, produces character, and produces hope. All right, let's go to verse 6. We land this plane today. Paul says, you see, at just the right time. I wonder what he was meaning by that. At just the right time. In just the nick of time, you've heard that phrase? Like at the 11th hour, God showed up. At the 11th hour, I was fixed. At the 11th hour, this situation I was in was resolved. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Paul reminds us that Christ died for the ungodly. That phrase ungodly has captured me this week. When you think of that word, and at first glance, there's probably not a person amongst us that would say, well, I know what that's like. That means that you're not God. And I'm like, okay, I, I'll grant you that because I've, I've been there. And in our better moments, we would say we're not God. We don't know what he knows. We don't operate like he does. But that word doesn't mean that we're just not God. We're not like God. It's a bit more like our word un-American. And when I say un-American, I don't mean to say that you're from Canada or from Mexico or from Switzerland. To be un-American means to be fundamentally opposed to the foundational spirit of who we are as a country. And a lot, a lot of people would say right now, that's at a crossroads. But this idea of being un-American means that I, I, don't, I don't stand for the values of America at all. That's what we understand with that phrase un-American. So if I can project that with some meaning and clarification to this word ungodly, it means that I'm fundamentally opposed to the values of the kingdom of God. And you're like, hold on, Brenton, are you calling me out right now? Because the truth is, I'm calling myself out. There have been times that I have been fundamentally opposed because I have had a selfish agenda in my life. That I have wanted to see my aims get done and not just his. Where in our better moments, if we were to be honest with one another, so much of what drives us is less about God's kingdom and more about our own pursuits. Think about how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we spend our time online. Think about what we're trying to produce. Think about what we're trying to portray. It's rarely about God's kingdom. And this is a critique for me. And if you feel it with me, this is the convicting place that 
that Paul's talking about for his friends. The ungodliness of every single one of us recognizes that we have no hope except for the grace of Jesus Christ, who took the pain and suffering, much like the songs sang today like we just sing together. That God's in the business of reclaiming and redeeming his people because his son died on the cross. That gives us access, right? We get a backstage pass because of that. We have access to the Father. We have hope for tomorrow. We have hope for today in the midst of the sufferings. But ultimately, as we recognize our own ungodliness, that is, that is across the board. That's every single one of us. But we have access because of what Jesus has done. But the ungodliness wells up within us and constantly reminds us that it's only on, only on account of what God has done. And the ungodliness factor, because it's across the board, means that everyone has that. But we have access. Every single one of us has access. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He has this parenthetical thought, and a lot of scholars are frustrated by verse 7 because they don't know what to do with it. Was it Paul's original ideas? Was it a scribe who was writing this thing down later on? Did he add this? But it's helpful to understand what was going through Paul's mind. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And then verse 8 rams at home. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean to be a sinner? It's more than just having marks on our list that says we don't measure up. It's more than just this cheat sheet that God looks at and says, oh, some of you get in and some of you don't. Because we have these elementary versions of who God is, and oftentimes they're wrong. And our hope at refuge is to constantly to draw people in a sense of new life. Not just new life after coronavirus, but new life all the time. That we have hope for today and hope for tomorrow because of what God has done. But my sin often keeps me from God. And it's my sin even this week. It has kept me far from him. And far from his people. Like you, I'm always looking for good things out there. I don't want to just jump into the fray of all the funk, the bad stuff. And I came across it in the words of a friend on Facebook, and you're like, how did you possibly find good on Facebook? But I, I, I guarantee you, it's good. It's out there. I don't know where it's at all the time, but it's out there. Uh, the first Bible teacher I ever had in my life was my dad. He has shaped and molded me so much, but I've also had the benefit of other other good scholars and teachers in my life and mentors. And on Friday, I came across the words of one of my mentors from my undergraduate degree down at Vanguard University, a guy named Bill. And he wrote some convicting things. And I wondered if he was just saying them to me. I want to read them. It's, it's an elaborated conversation with Jesus. Old Jewish scholars would write writings and embellish stories of scripture almost to add more life to them for us to understand the heart of God in a moment. And I would say this is one of those Jewish midrash moments that my, my buddy and mentor Bill added on Friday. And I love this conversation with Jesus that he portrayed. And here's what he said. Jesus said, love one another. I said, could you explain and Jesus said, love one another. And I said, 
Perhaps you could give an example. Jesus said, as I have loved you. And I said, oh, but what if, and Jesus said, love one another. I said, but, but you don't understand how. And Jesus said, love one another. I said, but they're wrong about. And Jesus said, love one another. And I said, but they hurt me. Jesus said, love one another. And I said, but they don't love me. Jesus said, love one another. I said, don't you have anything else to say, Jesus? And Jesus said, love one another. And you're like, I, I hope that makes sense to you. Because how it made sense to me on Friday was I have gone through this week vilifying people. I have projected blame and shame, and I have apportioned people to a certain segment of reality and to the afterlife, if you get my drift. But the ways that God is calling me out in my sin and reminding me of his goodness in Romans chapter 5 is, even in my most deplorable moments, he's in the business of redeeming and reclaiming my life. And he's challenging me. Are there people that, that really you struggle with, Brenton? And I'm, I'm the first to say yes. Have there been people this week that have said really stupid things? Of course. And the conviction for me is, do you love them the way that I love you? Is the door to my table, is the door to my kingdom as wide for them as they are for you, Brenton? And that's challenging and convicting. Because all of us feel the palpable moment that we're in as a culture and a society right now. And we all want to weigh in. We want to weigh in with our disgust and our hatred, regardless of how we see things. But Jesus is saying to you and to me, do you love those people before you? Do you love the people that challenge you? Do you love the people that cause you great pain? Do you love the people who say stupid things? Do you love the people who may not see things the way that you see things, Brenton. And I was even challenged this week because God is in the business of the long arc, the long arc of life. He's not done with me on day one. Hopefully he sees me through all the way to the end. And the same is true for the people in your life. If you struggle with what someone said online this week, it's because you're struggling to love them the way that Jesus loves them. He doesn't struggle to love them because he's Jesus. And you're like, that's it for you. That's easy for you. And Jesus and God are pointing back at me saying, hey, can you figure out how to love them the way that I love them? And perhaps they will get a glimpse of the kingdom. And perhaps in that moment when the kingdom's at play, your country and your world will look better. So that's the conviction for me. I don't know what you faced this week. There's great trauma and great hurt in our country. It is not an easy thing. I am struggling every day. And you're like, how hard is it for you, Brenton? Here's my struggle. People want me to say more. And some people have said, you said too much. And it doesn't matter if it's about racial reconciliation. It also matters about this whole coronavirus thing. People are, are lambasting us in the streets, literally. Oh, you're a pastor? Have you opened up yet? 
the judgment is as if, as if we haven't opened up. We, we don't trust God. Oh, you didn't say enough online about George Floyd. And for us, we're trying to make sense of it just like you. But I also recognize that sometimes I don't win by my Facebook postings. I win by resembling the kingdom. And right now, Jesus is saying, do you love the people that are, you're struggling with the way that I love them, Brenton? And that is convicting. But I have hope that because while I was still a sinner, in my ungodliness, Christ died for me. And he also died for you. And that's good news. Let's pray. God, thank you for your servant Paul, whose words a couple thousand years ago continue to speak profound truth today. I pray that for every single one of us as we watch today, perhaps those who are even listening into the future would come in contact with who you are and your commitment and faithfulness to your people. Your love knows no bound. You want us in relationship with you at all costs, so much so that you're willing to pay the price. And you pay the price over and over and over again. So as we head into this week, may we walk with confidence as your sons and daughters. Because the places that you put us in, may we speak life and truth and peace and goodness and righteousness and justice. Oh, how we need justice right now. May justice roll down on this land and in this country and into our hearts. May we get a sense of how your kingdom works because we are your hands and your feet. We are your people in the ground, on the moment, where you need us. But ultimately, you're challenging us with how we love. You have loved us at our worst. Help us to do the same to the world around us. And then there will be a better glimpse of who you are. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.